Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Those of you in milder climates may still have a few tomatoes clinging to your shivering vines. And more than likely, they're probably green tomatoes. But you might be wondering, will they ripen? Well, our favorite college horticulture professor, retired Debbie Flower, says it really depends how green they are. She has tips for determining which ones are most likely to ripen and how to ripen them indoors. And uh, just in case they won't ripen, we have a recipe for healthy oven-baked green fried tomatoes without the frying. Also, how to multiply your strawberry patch for free. And we bring back succulent expert Deborah Lee Baldwin to talk about one more edible succulent, dragon fruit. It's episode 62 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We get questions here at the Garden Basics podcast. Kathy writes in and says, I have a better boy tomato that after a lull over the summer started producing again. It's full of green tomatoes in various sizes. Since it looks like the temperatures are going to dip pretty low in the next few days, should I pick the larger ones and let them ripen inside? We would like to know. And this is one of these uh, California problems, Debbie Flower, a retired horticultural professor. And uh, it, this is something we Californians go through with uh, every October, November, wondering if those green tomatoes out there are going to ripen before the first frost hits or the second frost or the third frost. What do you do? Do we just serve up fried green tomatoes or do those tomatoes that are out there on the vine have a chance in late fall? Well, first of all, I think it's also a problem for other places because those tomatoes uh, uh, genetically are a perennial. And if the climate remained warm enough, they would ripen and continue to grow. And so wherever you are, no matter how early your frost comes, if you've got a tomato plant and it's producing fruit, you're going to be faced with this problem as well. You're absolutely right in that uh, this problem probably hits every tomato grower in America. Just some, it hits them earlier than others, sometimes in September, some some in October, others in November or December. Yes, right. My son lives in Minnesota. They've had snow already. So it's a moot point for them now, but it happened before, happened earlier in the year. So yes, we all go through this. And the the Tomatoes, I was looking at a friend's tomato plant the other day, and there were some really nice red ones all ready to be picked. And then there are the green ones. And yes, your question is, or your the caller's question is, uh, what will happen to those? It depends. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed, it does depend. So I guess what one has to do is sort of like do a, take a sample of the tomato and uh, perform an autopsy on it. Yes, the tomatoes ripen over time and they start green and then they progress to red or orange or, you know, depending on stripes, whatever color you have of tomato that you're growing. And so we need to check with the maturity of that fruit. If it has matured far enough while it's still on the plant, then you can bring it in, put it on a windowsill or even there are other plants. You can wrap it in newspaper, 
good at place that I did him in the basement of one of my houses in a fruit box on a bed, wrapped each one in newspaper. So you can bring them in and they will ripen if they've matured far enough on the plant. And so you have to, as you say, dissect them to find out if they've matured far enough. So what are the signs you look for? I imagine you kind of slice it open the middle and then you take a look at what's on going on on the inside. Right. So a fruit exists on a plant to produce seeds so that the plant can reproduce. And so that's what, where we're going to look. If the if the tomato is completely green and we cut it open, then we need to look at the seeds. The seeds on tomatoes, as they mature, uh, develop a gel sort of pillowcase around them, a coating around them. And if the, if the seeds have produced that coating and they sort of push away from the knife as you cut it, then the tomatoes are mature enough to ripen. If when you cut the tomato in half, if you cut right through the seeds and or uh, there is no uh, gel uh, coating around the seeds, then they are not ripe enough to, to uh, continue ripening off the plant. And I guess it too, you look at and see if the seeds move or not as you're you're cutting through. I noticed that uh, Texas A&M University has some advice that after you uh, slice through the center of the tomato, examine the seed within the fruit. If the seeds are covered with a clear gel, which causes them to move away from the knife, right. then that fruit will eventually turn red and ripen. On the other hand, if the seeds are cut by the knife, then those fruits will never properly ripen. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's an, an interesting aside, at least for me, is that if you wanted to save seeds from your tomatoes that you grew this year and see what you get from them next year, they're seeds, so they won't be exactly like the parent plant that you just took them from. But what you have to do to get those seeds, prepare those seeds to be able to plant them next year is get that gel that's around the seeds to ferment off, to expose the seed from that gel. So that gel is a pretty important uh, indicator of maturity of the plant. And I guess this is something that you cannot put off doing. That is uh, picking up the tomatoes for uh, ripening on in, inside the house, because if a frost does hit, you're shortening the life of those green tomatoes. Yeah, there's some important temperatures to keep in mind. Uh, fruit development on a, a tomato plant slows way down based on night temperatures, when night temperatures get in the 40s. So uh, night temperatures in general are, are very, very important to plant development and maturity. And so if temperatures are going to drop into the 40s, so below 50, then the plant is unable to produce the, the pigments that and the chemicals that allow that fruit to ripen. And so it'll just stall. It'll just stop. So, yes, you got to watch those night temperatures and bring those fruit in before they drop too low. And from what I understand, too, it's a good idea to don't rip the fruit off of the plant, but to leave a little bit of the stem, because if you rip the stem out of the fruit, that'll open them up to more decay. Yes, true. Any We're taking a plant, that, a, a fruit that's been growing on a plant outdoors and been exposed to whatever's in the air. And if we make any holes in it, whether uh, we're picking a tomato that has maybe a slug hole or a, or some other kind of browsing hole in it, or we, we rip that stem out of the top, we've opened the fruit up to, to the uh, fungus and particularly bacteria that are in the air around the fruit. And it, it's all downhill from there. You're just going to end up with a whole bunch of mush. So cut the fruit off. Don't rip it off. I guess if you're just going out there to pick the mature green tomatoes, I guess a couple of things to look at 
the size of the tomato and any sort of coloration change that might be going on. Yes, a mature green tomato kind of needs to be defined, right? Yes. <laughs> They're well-sized. So we, we tested whether it was time to pick them by cutting them. So obviously that one tomato is not going to continue to ripen. So now we're going to go out in the garden and look for ones probably of similar size. And we will look at color if they were green, which all tomatoes are in the beginning, and they're going to become a red tomato, they'll go through a phase where they have turned sort of more white. If they're that color and they're good size, then they have the chance to uh, become red and, and produce the flavor that we like so much. And I guess if that tomato is completely green, uh, maybe start looking for others that show some sort of color change. Yeah, obviously there's going to be some that have gone beyond, gone from green to white, and then they're going to start to become red. And if they've become red and you bring them in and put them in a well-ventilated area, they don't need to be in the sun. As I said, I've done it in the basement. We didn't have windows in the basement, not, not that produced sun anyway. They will ripen without being in the sun and you'll have great tomatoes. What is the proper storage temperature for these mature green tomatoes? Well, you certainly want something above 50 degrees and below 85. Probably around room temperature would be the best. Uh, I don't know about your house, but um, 65 to 75 degrees. You could probably go lower than that, 60 degrees to 75 degrees. You don't want it too high because then they're going to dry out. You don't want it too cold because then they won't ripen as quickly. And once that tomato is fully ripe, what is the best storage for a tomato? Tomatoes should not really be put in the refrigerator, although because refrigerators run around 40 to 42 degrees Fahrenheit, and that will destroy some of the flavor molecules in the tomato. So you want it to be uh, 45 to 50 degrees. In my world, that's a hard temperature to come by. If you've got some kind of maybe a wine refrigerator that you can control or a special little produce refrigerator where you can raise the temperature a bit higher than what your normal refrigerator is, uh, then you're, you've got the ideal situation. Maybe a root cellars. Yes. If you have a root cellar, that might work. But in, in, in my house, I don't have any of those things. And so I just leave them on the counter, but not next to the stove, not next to the oven, uh, not near a heat vent. Uh, I want them to have good airflow, so put them up on a rack uh, and space them so that air can flow between them. Uh, Wrapping them in newspaper can also be used because it helps uh, dissipate the moisture that a live, these fruits are alive, that a live fruit is producing and it it will result in less rot. I guess, too, then for the next couple of weeks or so, if they are maturing at room temperature and probably take about two weeks for them to mature, is to check them every few days and uh, find ones that may have gone bad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully you get them before they go bad and get to use them, can them, freeze them, dehydrate them, whatever your process is. And then if you store them right again, again, uh Build that root cellar while you're waiting and uh, put them in there and, and, and they'll last a few more weeks. Right, right. Now what have, have you ever tried pulling up an entire tomato plant and hanging it upside down in your garage? I have not. I think once in the past I took the some branches and hung them in the garage. In the, it would have been the basement when I had a basement. It just seems like such a messy job <laughs> to pull up the whole plant and drag roots and dirt and all around uh, inside anywhere of the house, the garage, the basement, wherever. So, no, I have not done that. 
for those who have tried it, they probably know that you need to avoid sunlight because the tomatoes will spoil and ripen unevenly. And again, that root cellar temperatures would be ideal for that in the yeah. 55, 65 range. They would. They would. And you, it, it wouldn't be a big problem to, to bring the dirt into the root cellar. So, yeah, I envy the root cellar people. Now, one thing about storing tomatoes, and I think this is a good idea, too, is to store them by color to have several different cardboard boxes in which to place these tomatoes and then basically put the ones of similar coloration together because they'll tend to ripen together. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The ones that are redder to begin with are going to ripen first. The ones that are closer to that white green color are going to be the last ones. And so you look at everything in between. So that would help you organize your harvest. Now, here's the dirty little secret about doing this. You're not going to get summertime flavor out of that tomato. No, you won't, but you'll get something that's a lot better than what you find at the grocery store. There you go. That's our criteria on this program. Yeah. Yeah, that's the point, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So basically, if you do all that, uh, you can extend that to the enjoyment of tomatoes and still keep having BLT sandwiches for a few more weeks or maybe a couple of months. Right. Thanksgiving's coming. Maybe you can have it then. Could be. Now, what about uh, fried green tomatoes? I mean, that's just not the title of a movie, too. That's an actual delicacy in some parts of the country. It is. And, and I've made that because I've had green tomatoes that I realized were never going to ripen. And it, they still have good flavor. They taste like tomato despite all the milk and egg and flour? <laughs> it comes through. That little bit of acid. Yeah, it comes through. I like an acidic tomato, so I'm typically growing an acidic tomato. Okay, and, and they are fried, correct? Yes, they are fried. All right, so there is that. Now, uh, at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page, I have a, a post called Saving the Tomatoes of Late Fall. And in there, uh, we have a recipe not only for fried green tomatoes, but for oven fried green tomatoes, which uh, sort of takes the fat out of uh being fried, basically, uh, by oven frying. You're just using uh, water, flaxseed, cornmeal, quinoa, cornstarch, salt, pepper, and tomatoes. And, and basically, uh, you might spray a baking sheet lightly with canola oil, but that's the extent of uh, any oil you might use. So wow, check that I didn't out. Know. Yeah, I didn't know that there was a a way of doing it in the oven, and now it's cooled off, so I'm I'm willing to use the oven. <laughs> okay. Yes, it has cooled off quite a bit. Well, we learned something about extending the tomato harvest, so uh, if especially if you're in USDA Zone 9, head out to the yard real soon. Start looking for those green tomatoes that may be turning color, clipping them off, bringing them in, putting them in cardboard boxes, and uh, perhaps enjoying them in a couple of weeks. Mmm, yummy. Debbie Flower, retired college horticultural professor. Thanks for uh, letting us harvest the last of the tomatoes. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you, Fred. We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again. 
and smart pots clicks all those boxes they're durable they're reusable smart pots are available at independent garden centers and select ace and true value stores nationwide to find a store near you visit smartpots.com fred it's smart pots the original award-winning fabric planter go to smartpots.com fred for more info and that special farmer fred discount on your next smart pot purchase Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Many months ago, we had a discussion with Pam Farley, better known as the Brown Thumb Mama. You can find her website at brownthumbmama.com. And she was talking about the Kids' Choice Garden Veggies. You can look that up on the podcast and go back and check out all the vegetables that she recommends to get kids working out in the garden, growing food that they will enjoy eating. And the subject of strawberries came up. How long do you keep a strawberry plant? Do you replant or do you save runners or mother plants or how do you go about it? The first year after I plant, I I clip off the runners because the runners will will hire out and weaken the mother plants. And all the moms that are listening to the podcast will understand that all the little ones will hire you out and weaken you. So I have not replanted any runners, but I you can, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Just as a, like start them as a separate plant, do you need to re-root them? Or? Uh, well, actually, they, they are already rooted, and you just dig, don't yank them out of the ground, but dig. just clip them off? Well, you, you actually, it's, it would be better to clip off that runner and then dig it out and then uh, transplant it to someplace else. Ah, see, this is why I say I have a brown thumb. Sometimes <laughs> I do things and they don't work, and sometimes they do, and... I'm always learning. You're getting multiple years out of those uh, mother plants then. Yes, I'm on my third year. As Pam Farley found out, yeah, you can get a few years out of a mother plant. A lot of commercial growers, though, will replant strawberries every year because with each successive year, those mother plants produce fewer and fewer strawberries. But one thing is true. Those runners, don't toss them out. Clip them off plant them, and you'll have more great strawberries in the future. There are even more good tips on propagating strawberry runners from the excellent book Plant Propagation, produced by the American Horticulture Society. Excellent book if you want to get into plant propagation more. And it talks about strawberry layering. Many strawberries, it says, have runners that root into the soil. Runner production coincides with the end of fruiting on cropping plants. Plantlets form on these stems as they grow. When the plantlets are well-rooted, they may be easily severed from the parent plant. This self-layering habit can be encouraged. Stems may be layered onto the soil or into pots sunk into the bed. Now that's very intriguing. And this book goes on. For best results, keep some plants specifically for layering. Plant these three feet apart and remove the flowers. Keep the soil moist to encourage runners to develop and root. Peg the runners with wire staples into the soil or into three-inch pots filled with a soil-based mix and plunge those pots level with the soil surface. Plant rooted plantlets into their final positions in late summer and autumn for a good crop the following season. 
The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. We have links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, a link to the FarmerFred.com website. That's where you can find out more information about the radio shows. You remember radio, right? Now, if the place where you access the podcast doesn't have that information, you can find it all at our home podcaster, Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout Buzzsprout.com. Just look for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. Recently, we were chatting with succulent expert and author Deborah Lee Baldwin about a very unusual succulent, dragon fruit. It's one of the few succulents that's edible. Yeah, this, this, is, this is probably, of all the edible succulents we've talked about, uh, not including, say, tequila, which you pointed out, um, the dragon fruit is, is a commercial fruit. And I think it would be more popular and more widely grown if uh, they kind of ramped up the taste a little bit. It's it's not bad. I mean, it's sweet, but I find it kind of insipid. For the beauty of the fruit, you, you want more of a punch of flavor, more of an intensity. And so I like to uh, peel it and serve it with a, a wedge of lime which will enhance the flavor. But what it looks like, it looks like a retro spaceship uh, that is, okay, picture like a fruit that's larger than a softball and it has flanges or fins that are coming off of it almost as though it were going into a windstorm. Or think of a comet, you know, it it looks like it's moving even though it's not because these these, uh, kind of leaf-like things sort of, you know, come off of it and trail behind it a little bit. I, have I done a good job of explaining that or have I created a monster? Well, actually, I'll destroy your marketing efforts here by saying to me, it looks like the coronavirus. Oh, <laughs> but it does. You know, the pictures you it see no of, of these of these little Sputnik like red things, oh. it, it, it looks kind of like that. No, I like that. I like that. You know, it's funny when I was looking up uh, retro rocket ships to perfect my metaphor i ran across one in a book uh, from a book illustrated written by hg wells that had an illustration of a rocket ship that looked like guess what that the coronavirus oh yeah okay (laughs) yeah yeah i i I like i'm like my gosh really okay so what you see in uh dragon fruit then is this very colorful exterior. It can be red or magenta or shades of orange or yellow. And there are numerous uh, cultivars. You know, it's a vining succulent, and it'll grow in uh, moderate climates along the coast of California, in Mexico, and in the tropics. It, It grows very well. In other words, it likes warmth, it likes moisture, but it doesn't like to be overwatered. It is, after all, a cactus. So it'll the way they grow it is they train it up on a trellis, 
Or kind of remember the old uh, what we used to use to hang our clothes, the clothesline. Yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. what they grow on looks like old fashioned clotheslines. And so the um, the vine can be very vigorous when it's happy. I've tried to grow it, wasn't happy. I get too cold, too hot here in Southern California. I'm uh, zone 9B, and it gets down below freezing a few degrees, just enough to be annoying, and well into the 90s. And it's just too cold and too hot for this plant. Mm. But it is extremely ornamental on a plate. This is the, this is the edible succulent you grow. Not so much for its flavor, uh, not so much because it's a great ornamental plant, although it's very interesting, uh, but to slice and put on a fruit plate because the uh, the exterior of it, what would you call that, the peel, the rind, whatever, is that wonderful color. And then the flesh is uh, a white flecked with little tiny crunchy black seeds. Well, well, how would you describe the flavor of dragon fruit? I used the, the word earlier, insipid, uh, meaning not a, not a lot of flavor, not a strong flavor. It uh, it has a it has mild fruity overtones. It's it's sweet. I think it's more about the texture. I don't know if I would recognize the flavor again if I ran across it. It's not like you're going to see dragon fruit popsicles or anything. <laughs> it's just not like that. But I do like to bring out the flavor with a squeeze of lime. It's it's a beautiful addition to a summer fruit plate or a fall fruit plate. Dragon fruit. All Dragon right. Dragon fruit. Deborah Lee Baldwin. Wonderful website, DeborahLeeBaldwin.com. And of course, you've, you're on YouTube. You've got uh, the blog. You've got You've got a very active website and a marketplace as well. Well, yes, thank you. I I so love what I do. And as a journalist by profession who's come into succulents first as a hobby and then as a passion, uh, I, I keep running across more cool things to share. So I'll add a post to my website. I'll, oh, I have a newsletter celebrating the joy of succulents, which people can subscribe to for free by going to the homepage of DeborahLeeBaldwin.com. I have over 6 million YouTube views, and I also have a presence on Pinterest, Facebook, and Instagram. One of the nation's leading succulent experts, Deborah Lee Baldwin, specializes in showing how top floral, landscape, and garden designers can use sculptural succulents in a wide variety of eye-catching applications. Her own garden has been in uh, Sunset Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, and uh, she lives in the ideal gardening climate uh, near San Diego, California. Deborah Lee Baldwin, thank you for spending a few minutes with us here on the Garden Basics Podcast. Thank you, Fred. I really enjoyed it. The Garden Basics Podcast is going to a winter schedule, maybe just like your favorite local nursery. November through January, Garden Basics will come out once a week on Fridays. Then as the weather warms back up in February, we'll return to our twice a week schedule. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate that you've included us in your garden life.